This week on the pod, we look at the form of the East Coast Eagles, discuss player movement etiquette, nominate our favourite footy-isms and ask just how good this year's crop of rising star nominees are, while Christian from Champion Data breaks down the year's big risers and sliders. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast for another week. My name is Matt Walsh, and that was a tr- mouthful to try and get out that intro. Uh, Neil Seawang, you've joined me again. Uh, how are you this week? I'm really good. I'm I'm really excited that finals seem to be on our doorstep. So there's a lot of storylines and a lot of teams that look like they're they're really really going strongly. Still got three games left, but we are on the home stretch, Jake. We are, and as Neil said, and I said it last week, I just want these last few rounds over. It's just, it drags on the last few weeks. But there are a few cracking matchups still to come. There are. You don't want to sort of fast forward and skip through them. There, yeah, that's true. But you just want to feast on the on the main event, don't you, when you, you get do. this close? Pick and yeah. choose, pick the eyes out of it. Mm. Uh, Christian from Champion Data, how are you? Yeah, good, thank Did you. Did you see much footy on the weekend? Yeah, usual. Uh, I worked on the two games, but watched probably about five in whole. But on the saving, you just almost taste the finals coming, mm. can't you? Well, we... Um, Throwing ahead to your segment later on, Jake, you are going to talk about one of those matchups in a bit, uh, bit further detail. Yeah, have you been looking at my notes? <laughs> I might have been looking at your notes. Yes, Ca- I will. Be. Caught you off guard there, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll get straight into our first segment. It's time for three on three. Uh, this is the segment where we spend a few minutes chatting about the three of the biggest issues uh, each week. Uh, and it doesn't seem like long ago that West Coast were the bunnies uh, of most Victorian teams. They're a bit of a laughing stock after the 2015 grand final. And the stigma was that they were pretty hopeless at the MCG. But no more. Christian, should we start calling them the East Coast Eagles? Uh, I think you could almost call them that. That's well, a, you already that's did, a, didn't that's you? A, that's <laughs> a pretty good one. I think you're, you're itching for it, aren't you? I was pretty happy with that you're one. You're trying to hate that one, are you? Coming up with that in the pre-podcast uh, meeting. Yeah, so just looking at their record. So you mentioned the 2015 grand final loss, and it was sort of, or was all doom and gloom after that. They can't win in Melbourne. You know, they're just pretenders, really, was probably most of the commentary. Uh, so the very next year, they went 1-3 and three in Melbourne. Uh, one and four in Victoria, if you include their uh, their game down at Skilled Stadium that year. 2017, they were two and five in Melbourne, uh, and then something interesting happened. They built a new stadium of the stadium, and I keep sort of banging on about this. I'm sure they were very quick to tell us they were building it to the same dimensions as the MCG, the same width as the MCG. I think was the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so since building that ground and training there, they've been nine and zip in Melbourne. So that's in M- MCG and at Marvel since Fair training at their new venue. That's incredible, isn't it? Well, it's kind of flown a little bit under the radar. I mean, sort of, it's gained a bit more notoriety, uh, especially after they beat Carlton on the weekend. But it's pretty amazing to think that such a quick turnaround. And uh, you're right; I think it must be something to do with the new stadium and, and training on and playing on dimensions that are similar to that of the MCG and Marvel Stadium more often. Because I think Optus Stadium, from memory, I think you're right; it's about the width of the MCG, but a bit shorter, shorter more think, yeah. Marvel Stadium sort of length. So there must be some methods. But previously, to the I think they played on the ground that was quite narrow. So that's why it was so different for different and difficult for them to play on the MCG. Well, yeah, there's no point winning every game at home and then getting to the to the grand final and just getting smashed. So I mean, they've done the right thing, and look, at it's paying early dividends. We can't it? just say it's one one thing, being that they're now playing at a stadium that has the same dimensions of the stadiums in Melbourne. I mean, obviously they're playing some really good football. Yeah, I mean it'll help. Uh, would you say that they could just be about be flag favourites, or are you still on the Tiger train, Jake? Still on the Tigers, but I think look, I'm a, as you know, I'm a pretty stubborn person, and I've said earlier in the year I didn't think West Coast would go back to back, and I, I think they're starting to prove that they well, not starting to, they can definitely have proven that they can go back to back. I'm still going to stick with my guns and say that they won't, but I mean, they're the second best team in it right now, if not the best. So it's interesting that you uh, mentioned Richmond there. So I've looked at, again, looking at West Coast. So in the time that they've gone, 9-0 in Melbourne, so since the start of last year, they've scored the second most points of any team at those two venues behind Richmond. 
They've conceded the second fewest points of any team in that time behind Richmond. <laughs> uh, the one thing they do beat, uh, sorry, they're number one for scoring per inside 50, so they beat Richmond in that. And time in forward half, they're plus four minutes uh, 34 at those two venues, which again, second to Richmond. So it, it's interesting that those two are, those two teams are flying at these two venues that are very important for finals. So it's, it's really interesting. Well, I think we've discussed a few times on the pod over the year, Christian, how differently they play the game, don't they? That you, West Coast game style compared to Richmond's is quite different. Yeah. Can you break that down in, well, in dot point quickly, for us? Quickly, yeah. To, to sum it up, it's very much West Coast kick and mark mm-hmm. and Richmond... Uh, uh, sort of a lot of handball and meters gained, which we've sort of been banging on about. But it's that it's almost chaos footy. It's just keep moving the ball forward at all costs. Whereas West Coast can sort of go slow and fast at either time. The footy landscape changes every week with teams winning and losing. But I think we can probably agree that they're the two front runners right now. Geelong might be top still, but they've they've slowed right down. There's still, and I'm hot on the lines, but I think there's still a few question marks on the lines. And Collingwood's fallen right away. Who's the third best? Do we still mm. kind of think Geelong or? Out of sight, out of mind, the Lions up up north. I mean, seven wins in a row is is not a hard... Sorry, it's not an easy not thing hard. to do. <laughs> People do it every day. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not an easy thing to do, um, particularly for such a young group. Uh, Absolutely. And even though they had the bottom six draw, um, or fixture at the start of the year, whereby they play um, most of the bottom teams twice throughout the year, they've still beaten some impressive sides. And, and to have um, gotten themselves onto a seven win streak is impressive and they might just be the third favourites at the moment. For me, and I might be just seduced by their talent, I still think the Giants might be the third best team in it. I know they only scraped over the line against the Swans, but they should be getting Kelly back and and a few others. And I just just love when they're on that they can really pile the goals on. So for me, Mm -hmm. I think they might just be that next tier. In our tipping toolkit that we released a couple of weeks ago, they're not losing another game, so their their run home is pretty strong. So if they can if they can shore up a top four spot and secure a double chance, perhaps uh, perhaps they are mm, a team might that be can playing the Cats first week. They could be. Would that be at uh, GMHBA Stadium? <laughs> Who knows? I, mean, I think that's fair to say the Cats would rather be playing them there than than Richmond, than Richmond at the MCG. MCG. <laughs> well, maybe we'll see some funny buggers in the last couple of rounds maybe. with uh, teams uh, tanking to get to to different spots and, and whatnot. Um, moving on to our our next topic of discussion. Joe Danaher made waves earlier this week when it was revealed that he had coffee with new Sydney CEO Tom Harley recently. Both parties, that is the Swans and the Bombers, uh, were sort of quick to say it was an innocent catch-up between mates uh, who have a history from their AIS Academy days. But there are a few more layers to this. Uh, Neil, Danaher's situation is an interesting one for many reasons. But firstly, off the top, would you be okay with one of your star players meeting with another club in season? It, yeah, it, you probably wouldn't want it to happen, would you? You especially wouldn't want it to happen on the eve of a finals campaign where you're really hoping to win your first final in you know a long, long time. Fifteen years, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's not ideal, but I think the industry's got to be mature enough to understand that if you've got to play, the, the, your players aren't only going to chat to the 44 players in your club and the, and the administrators and coaches of your club. So if he's got a, a history with, with Harley and they're good mates from back in the day, then then I do not see any reason why you wouldn't be happy with them just catching up. The fact that it got made public is probably something that they're, that both clubs and Danaher are, are probably kicking themselves about. But I think it's just it's just life, you know. I don't think there's any any reason to panic, and I think the industry is mature enough to accept that people from different clubs get along well. Jake, what are your, your thoughts on the the situation? Uh, I kind of agree. I think um, you know. You can't expect, as you say, you can't expect that they're never going to talk. Yeah, it's probably not a great look, um, and you probably might be a little bit frustrated, but I don't think you can be 
disappointed or anything like that. I guess it just happens. Um, and and the same thing with the bombers. The bombers have the ability to do the same thing themselves. Mm. So it's not as if it's it's a one way street. Um, having said that, I, I I'm fascinated around the whole um, Joe Danaher where he ends up and whether he whether he does go because Sydney sort of said, well, hang on, he's going to be playing at the bombers, so don't. Of get course, they're going to come out. And say <laughs> of course, they're going to say yeah. that. But we're going to poach him. And how but are going to say that? I'm fascinated to, about it. If he goes there, you know, there's so many layers on this. What happens to Buddy Franklin? You know, is, where does does he go somewhere else? Does he stay? He's he's had his injury issues this year and, and isn't going to be the player he, he once was. Um, can Danaher get himself fit? Because he's had probably more injury issues than than Buddy. Um, and then what happens with the Bombers? Because as you, as we've touched on in previous weeks, the Bombers have proven that they can win without him. They look but great they, without him. Yeah. But they probably aren't the side that can go... They, they kind of need a, some sort of key forward, whether it's McKernan or whether Hooker's playing forward, but then they need Hurley to be... They, they need someone because, you know, you, I don't think they can rely on the likes of McDonald, Tippenwoody and Fantasia every every week to kick bags. I think one of the layers, and, and the reason why it might have pricked some ears uh, in the AFL industry, is that um, prior to entering the AFL, Danaher had a choice in terms of where he wanted to, if he wanted to be a father son, and he could have gone to Sydney because mm. um, his dad played for South Melbourne and the Swans. So that's just kind of another little layer of intrigue there that that might sort of that's that's the reason why there are so many people sort of questioning. Or you know, clearly he must be wanting to move out or whatever that is. But another layer to the whole situation is that he's contracted for next year, but then he becomes a free agent. Yeah, that's right. And so. There, there are a couple of things that the Bombers can do in this situation if he is looking to move, which, you know, he might be. Uh, he might, uh, you know, might want to get out of the Melbourne bubble and, and sort of take the path through Sydney where there might be less media attention. And if that's the case, do the Bombers trade him now and there's some currency coming back the other way? Or do they risk him leaving in free agency? I mean, the, the layers here, like, it's not just the meeting and the coffee between two mm. mates that uh, have a history together. The layers are kind of sort of pointing this in a direction that is more of a, a player movement sort of thing. This is what I'm loving about free agency and what it's doing to the industry. It is that. It's it's sort of becoming more um, more trade news a year out before free agency because you do. You have to make that call. Are we going to let him walk for free? Are we going to be able to resign him or do we trade him now and get good you, value yeah, out of Yeah, you've got to it? think ahead and be a bit more proactive. It's made, it's made this sort of off-field you know, business side of things a lot more exciting. And again, sort of going back to me, I'm an NBA fan and I sort of like the way the AFL is moving to a bit more in terms of... Um, yeah, clubs and players looking actually looking at it more of a business and looking at it more professionally and sort of trying to you know if, especially for a player just trying to give your career longevity and as much security as possible. So I just go back to Joe Danaher, um, as you mentioned earlier, Matt. He sort of had a choice between Essendon and Sydney. I think Joe Danaher's seen the business side of football, so I don't think it was the the key to his decision. But he chose Essendon where his brother Darcy was playing when he was drafted. I think by the time he got to the club, Darcy had been delisted, if not. Uh, 12 months after Joe had been drafted. So he's seen it. He sort of joined Essendon thinking, well, I'll go join my brother and, you know, had the choice. But his brother didn't even get to play a game with him. They were pretty ruthless. Cut him, you know, obviously didn't make the cut. So, yeah, looking at Joe Danher and meeting with clubs and things, I think good on him. Look after yourself. He's, he's a really difficult one to judge trade-wise. Like, say, hypothetically, let's play this out. If he says to the Bombers, I actually do want to leave, and the bombers are like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna trade you now before mm. you are a free agent to maximise. And they should be doing that. Yeah, that makes I, I business think, sense. Yeah. But what's he had? He was so electric two years ago when he, he was all Australian and he kicked, I think, sixty eight goals or something like that, and looked like one of the best young key forwards in the game. Has hardly been on the park for two years, so he's really hard to to value. I think. Well, do the bombers have sort of any upper hand in in trade negotiations? Well, I they mean, do because, because the threat of well, the threat of free agency. Year. Well, that's the thing. But the threat is that they, they let that lapse and he goes in free agency. Yeah. So the upper hand 
you know, of, oh, geez, he's a, a bloody good player. Mm. It's sort of weakened by the fact that he has had uh, injury issues and it, it's a, sort of a ticking clock, really, in terms of the free agency um, appeal later down the track. So, I mean, if Sydney were to offer a first-round draft pick, the Bomber fans might not be happy, but that might be probably what they're going to be getting. I so mean, maybe got, a the later... Swans have got pick four or five at the moment, I think? Ish, yeah, yeah, at the moment, depending on yeah, Seems if there's a, any the starting picks. point, you think? Well, I think you got to ask yourself this. So, he's Joe Danaher's 25 right now. I know he's had injuries. We've, we've spoken about that. Take the injuries out. Let's let's say he's gonna let's say he's gonna be fit and he's gonna play the next five years and play really well. Is he the best key forward twenty five and under in the game right now? It's so hard to remember. What, notice, yeah, so he hasn't played for two years and you forget. You forget. You, we, you we forget remember his players. figures and his stats, but yeah, there's a lot of players we forget about that, that don't play. Like you know, Nat Nui, Jesse was, Hogan, was, was, Jesse Hogan, another one. Sam Doherty. There's just so yeah. many players that haven't played for a while that you forget about. But I, I would, I think he he is. It has to be fully. close. You're right. I don't, you think back to when he was at his best. He was doing things that you you just didn't see anyone else doing. He yeah. reminds me of Buddy a, a, quite a bit because mm. he's he's very athletic and he moves Iconic, around a lot yeah. and yeah, long he, bombs, wheels around onto the left. Yeah, which brings us on to Buddy. Nice nice segue there, Jake. Opportunity. Um. So, so obviously the contract's huge. Do do they see them playing alongside each other? And they've obviously got um, Sam Reid up there as well. Mm. Um, do they do they think they can all work together and young um, Blakey. Blakey Blakey as well? Or do, or is this a possibility kind of two that they broken men? I, they kind mm. of you just want to put them together and say share your <laughs> parts and let's create well, one football because super it's football. not. <laughs> yeah, if if you're you're Sydney looking to replace Franklin, who's had his injury troubles in the last couple of years, you're replacing him with another injury yeah. prone player, a younger so, Franklin who's injured. But so, the payoff might be. I mean, if he gets his body right, oh, yeah, and the Swans wouldn't sign him probably without doing the full due due diligence. I always struggle with that term <laughs> with his with his injuries. Um, then, then they're getting Buddy Franklin, who's you know six, seven years younger. Mm. Yeah, I tell you what, there's uh, plenty to think about, and it's going to be a, a long off season, I think. Yeah. It's going to be uh, a great off season <laughs> and, and trades. Hey, we'll move on to our third topic of conversation. Um, seems like Jake that the rising star is now a one horse race, but it probably shouldn't detract from just how good some of the other top nominees have been. So we thought we'd uh, compare the top three pl- first year players since the two thousand and one. Oh, I can't speak today either. <laughs> since the two thousand and one Super Draft. Um, with apologies to some, including Blakey, who we've just mentioned, Bailey Smith and others, just how good are Sam Walsh, Connor Rosie, and our man Sydney Stack? Our man Sydney Stack. Well, he didn't play on the weekend, but I did watch Carlton, um, and Sam Walsh was unbelievable. I know I said earlier in the year I might take, if I had to redraft, I'd take Rosie ahead of him. Um, I do love Connor Rosie, but I tell you what, um, Sam Walsh is just unbelievable. The th- this is the thing with with this, and I, and I know it's, it's a little bit tricky to sort of say. We're, what we're looking at is how these top three are going in their first year compared to how another trio went in their first year, not what the trio has become in 10 years' time. It's how that what they were doing in their first year. And I actually think that these three, which they're three extreme talents, but they all play such different roles for their sides. I think they're just about the best trio of draftees or non-draftees, if you're looking at Sydney Stack, in the last <laughs> 10 years. So going back to... Going back to maybe about 2007, I think there was, there was quite a... 2007 had Salwood, Pendlebury and Nathan Jones. So that's a, that's a really nice trio, and they all performed really well in their first year. But I think um, I think it stacks up pretty well. I'm sure you yeah, have the numbers. Yeah, so I've, I've looked stacks. at the numbers of... Yeah, uh, I've looked at the numbers for the, the top three players in the um, at the end of year NAB Rising Star Award for each year. And sort of, again, just assuming that Walsh, Rosie and Stack will be the top three this year and sort of comparing their ranking points um, all added up together and where they sort of rank as a trio. 
So it is the best trio for ranking points since 2013's uh, top three rising star players, which was Jaeger O'Meara, Brad Crouch, and Ollie Wines. So they three, all hit the ground running, didn't they, those three? Yeah. yeah. Three players, handy. exactly all, what I was about to say. All kind of inside midfield as well. Yeah. They're playing the same role from day one until they're mm. playing, you know, 100 games into their career. Um, and I think O'Meara being up at the Gold Coast that year, they, the first two years that O'Meara played, he was on his way to becoming a top five midfielder. I think a lot of people forget how good O'Meara was. Again, hidden away at the Gold Coast. Mm. Could have won a Brown though, Neil once told me. If his trajectory continued. Um, so, it's a, it, 2019 is the best since th- 2013. You're right. 2007 was a big year. So, um, Salwood, Penderbury and Jones. But we've actually, the year before that, which surprised me, is the um, biggest average for a trio in the in the top three in the NAB Rising Star. Is the name surprised me. Points, sorry? So, yeah, Rankings. this is using ranking, ranking points. So, champion data ranking points. 2006 top three, Daniel Pierce, 101 ranking points. Andrew Raines, 87. Heath Shaw, 118. So, this is one where, yes, they were good that year, but the stats... Stats are clearly lying. They're not the three best players. You know, neither of them. I mean, Heath Shaw played his 300th game, has been a great player, but Pierce and Rains probably both peaked so in their did, first yeah. year. So how do you explain that? Um, the game of football's changed a little bit, and it is before the explosion of interchange. So uh, back in 06, off the top of my head, probably about 30 to 40 interchange moves per game. Probably at least five to ten guys playing around the 50%, 60% mark and just coming on and maybe playing in the back pocket for a little while. Mm. Um, then we started to see interchange just exploded up to about 130, 140 per game in 2009 and 10. So this allowed all 22 players for a team to have the same ample amount of opportunity to get the ball. You, you sort of weren't having players starting every quarter on the bench. You had a lot more people rotating through the midfield. So again, when you look back at footy, the top-ranked players back in early 2000s are getting much bigger scores than the top-ranked players in today's games. But it's because of the bottom 10 players are actually better in today's footy or more influential in today's footy than they were 15 years ago. That is a good point because you look at some of the, the data from these first year players, notably Sam Walsh and uh, also Xavier Dersma, I think. It, they're running machines and they actually don't come off the ground a lot. Walsh is playing 85% game time for a first year player, which is remarkable. And I'm pretty sure, I think it's Dersma who's, who's getting, you know, running 14, 15 Ks a game, yep. which is amazing for first year players. Um, and, and you're right, like back in the day, you know, maybe a first year player who was playing his third, fourth, fifth game might only be on the ground for. 40, 50 minutes of game time, and then and then is pulled for more yeah. mature legs to and come so on later on. The other way, like, so someone like Daniel Pierce, who had hit the ground running and was playing well, he was actually sort of he wasn't one of the five Frio players that they were sort of rotating on the bench. So again, because he'd sort of established himself as a top fifteen player at Frio, he's getting more opportunity than Sam Walsh is getting even at Carlton. So again, the sort of ranking points are good because it sort of you can compare timelines in footy quite easily. Mm. Um, but it is footy's changed in terms of how you know, how influential the 44 players are across themselves. So as good as these three have been, and I, and I think it's pretty clear now that Walsh is going to win Walsh this going to win There'd it. There'd be something wrong if he didn't win it. But the other two can consider themselves pretty stiff because in maybe three or four of the last, or maybe all the last four years, either of them could have won the award. And, and I think that that kind of stacks up quite well. Don't say it again. <laughs> um, Stack puns. Yeah, with, so Stevenson won it last year. Would you feel comfortable? And he had a great year, but I don't think it's... I think Stack or Rosie could have quite comfortably won it last year. Oh, well, I think this is one. the closest one. But if you keep going back, I mean, there was a... Who, who won it the year before that? So going back, so 17, Andrew McGrath, 2016. I think they're probably both they're ahead of McGrath. Yep. 2016 was Callum Mills. I think, they're, I think so. Mills had a both good better. first year, but I think they're probably both ahead of him. 2000, 2015 was Jesse Hogan, who beat Patrick Cripps. 
Yeah, that was a pretty strong year. So I think that, to, from my memory, that goes back to, I think 2015 with Hogan and Cripps was just... Hogan was different because he, he was playing as a key forward. 40 goal correct, match, so, yeah. Which yeah, is remarkable. very different, yeah. yeah. Well then, why don't we just... Oh, this is a question without notice for the table, but looking a bit more broader then, because we, we named a couple of players who were really stiff. I mean, Smith, um, Blakey, Taron Thomas, Taron Thomas, all these good. sorts of blokes, and the other Port players. Is this the deepest draft class we've had for some time? It's like, a wonderful draft class. The top 10 players are could be 10... Greats, ten all-time greats. And you spoke to Connor Rosie after the game. You were at the game on Saturday. Yes, uh, I he has some interesting things to say. Yeah, so he, no, he's a great, great young player, and I and I spoke to him, and I just kind of said, um, "Did you expect?" Because I, and I said it maybe twelve weeks ago that he was probably the cleanest first-year player I've ever seen, and I kind of said, "Did you expect to, to hit the ground running against full-grown men when you came into the AFL?" And he wasn't even sure that he'd be playing. Um, Playing in the AFL, and as I said before, I think any other year he probably could have won the won the Rising Star. But look, it's it's a great top three. One very quick one word answer: Who's finishing second in this year's race, Stack or Rosie? Stack, I think Rosie because he's played more games. Uh, I'd vote Stack. I'd go Rosie. We split. <laughs> we are split down the middle. Hey, uh, let's move on. How about Stat with Champion Data? The, uh, we, we talked about it off the top, the uh, home and away season. The end is now in sight. Uh, and there's sort of no better time, I guess, to take stock, not stack. Um, of who <laughs> you love stack more than our producer, Jesse. <laughs> I just, uh, you sort of, once you start talking about stack, you realize how often you say the word stack just in general conversation. It happens in my private conversations and I start <laughs> laughing to myself. Anyway, I digress. Um, there's no better time, I guess, to take stock of uh, who have been the big... <laughs> I can't even take myself seriously. Uh, who have been the year's big risers and sliders in terms of ranking points? Christian, can you help me out and please take the pressure off me? Yeah, I will, and I'll, um, I'll actually like, we'll start with the biggest risers, and I think we've got two men that we can sort of claim in this podcast, Sydney Stack and the other one, uh, Rowan Marshall. Oh, stop man. saying Stack. <laughs> well, Stack can't be in it. He has nothing to base on. He stacks up, I guess. Oh, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, no, Roald Marshall's actually been, in terms of ranking points this year, um, so he averaged 62.7 last year, up to 112.6 this year. So an increase of almost 50 uh, ranking points per game. Now, and you guys have been big on him for throughout Tr- the whole Christian season. Christian and I can claim him as our man. Yeah, he's, um, he's really impressive, isn't he? He moves well, he competes yeah. well. I'm still surprised that the Saints think that he might be better suited as a forward because if that's the case, then they've got something pretty scary mm. if they can find a Ruckman to replace him. They've yeah. got quite a few forwards at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think he's uh, slotted in perfectly as that you know the, the the third best Ruckman behind Gorn and Grundy. And there's sort of you know there's no there's no shame in being third to those two. Uh, so is that gap, clear cut now? Yeah, so he's third for disposals. He's actually second for contested possessions. So I think he uh, came ahead of Gorn in that one. Third for clearances behind those two. Equal. Uh, and sorry, second for score assist. So he actually beats Gordon Grundy in score assist. He's second behind Nick Nat, who that's per mm. game this year. So he'd almost have him number one. Um, so yeah, I think he's clearly clearly entrenched himself in, in the number three spot. Brownlow chance? Uh, I wouldn't have thought so this early in his career. It might take ten weeks for the, before the umpires noticed him. True. So he might not get his first vote. I probably didn't know his name. Halfway through yeah. the season, yeah. Um, so just sort of looking at who else has had some um, big jump ups in ranking points this year. Three names that sort of come in second, third, and fourth are Shy Bolton, Mitch Lewis, and Liam Baker. But I sort of glossed over them a little bit because um, Shy Bolton only played three games in 2018. Mitch Lewis played two games, and Liam Baker played three games. So they weren't getting a whole lot of game time last year. But so. even just sort of saying their names, like from what I've seen this year of those three guys, mm. you could tell that they're, they're yeah. quite... They've, they've been, risen quite... They've been better, but yeah. they're coming from a quite a low base. Uh, so the second big, biggest riser this year in terms of ranking points has been Bashar Hooley at Richmond. So 74 per game last year, up to 102.9 this year. So 
some of the numbers for him. He 21 disposals last year, up until up till 28.3 uh, this year. 394 meters gain last year, up up to 502 this year. Intercepts 4.6 last year, 6.4 this year. So almost two more per game. And score launches. I mean, the, the numbers sound low, but he's he's 0.7 last year and 1.4 this year. So twice as many score launches per game than he was um, in previous years. Mm. Thought he was. Pre- I know he missed a few games last year, but I thought he was pretty good last year. Yeah, anyway. I thought he was solid last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, as I said, seventy-four ranking points last year. He would have been probably average or almost above average for a general defender. So, again, um, just having an outstanding season and would have to be in consideration for all Australian. I would have thought. Um, the third biggest name, or biggest riser, is James Warple at Hawthorne. So, sixty-nine per game last year, ninety-four per game this year, and again. Just natural progression for someone like him. But I've looked at, um, of all the players aged 20 or under, he's number one for ranking points, disposals, and contested possessions. So Yeah, he's one that I kind of did a disservice to last week when we were talking about our players that we want to buy stock in. I'd be, I'd be buying a lot of stock in, in James Warple. He is a supreme talent. And I think with Warple and Mitch Lewis, I know Mitch Lewis didn't play many games last year, but he's shown quite a lot as a key forward. And Warple as an inside midfielder who has a bit of class on the outside too. Just twenty I think those, years old. I think, I think those that. two can be real. That I think they've got a lot to look forward to. The Hawks with those two players and both extremely late picks. So hats off to the Hawks outside recruiters. of the top forty. I think, yeah, I think so. Warple was in the late forties, and Mitchell's mm. might have even been in the seventies. Yeah. yeah, he was like one of the last picks in the draft. Mm. I think. Uh, so the next name on the list, again, a good week to cover him, Nick Newman at Carlton. So 72 last year with Sydney, uh, where he played 11 games. He played half the season last year, up to 97 per game this year. And, and that's not just from his four goals on the weekend. He's actually been good. Well, it's finally a, Carl- a, a player that Carlton's got that's become better at the Blues, not <laughs> gone and become better. So now they've nailed that one. He's, been, he's He had a great game. He's had a great year. Um, so another name on the list, Jordan Dawson at Sydney. Sort of, again, gloss over him a little bit. He only played four games last year. He was playing 67% game time. But you look at him at, and what... It's like Sydney have found one in him. He's, I think he's been on their list. This might be his fourth year on Sydney's list. Played a lot of NEFL games before getting his opportunity. Um, but looks really good. And the fifth biggest riser this year, Travis Boak, who, again, we've spoken about a few times on the Your pod. Your man, Jake. Uh, so 88 last year, up to 112 this year. And the biggest number for him, disposals-wise, he's gone from 21 per game last year to 31.8 this That's year. It's incredible. Now, he is a Brownlow chance. Not not Marshall, but he is. he, he could certainly finish top three, Boak. Uh, he's yep. had a ridiculously good year. And I always said that he was one of the most overrated players in the comp. But he has proven that he's seriously good, and and he's just bounced back. I think not having the captaincies helped him, and he's just he just looks like the player that everyone kind of thought he was maybe three or four years ago. I think I really love the way <clears throat> I love a, a late career um, improvement or redemption story. I love the fact that that he and, and Baka Huli have both been exceptional in their twilight years. I think it's a great story. And if we look the other way and look at some of the uh, the league's sliders, uh, what sort of names we're looking at? Uh, so again, got to have, had to be sort of careful that you sort of didn't throw out, sort of didn't include the guys that uh, dropped off because of opportunity or injury or something this year. So the first name on the top of the list was Stephen Hill, seventy-two per game last year, down to thirty-nine this year. But again, he's only played three games in two thousand nineteen, and about sixty percent of the game time in those three games. So the one that's actually had a fair crack at it this year um, is Jesse Hogan. So ninety-one point seven last year, down to sixty point two. Uh, we know he's out with injury now, but looking at his games, only one of those of his 12 games were injury-affected. So he's, he's played at least 11 full games this year, uh, just just not getting the value that he was at his final year at Melbourne. Maybe, maybe it wasn't such a bad thing that, that Melbourne did trade him. Maybe that played mm. part of the decision. They thought that he had maybe peaked as a, as a very young man. And Having said that, did he's it had heat, a lot of did it he's been pressure on Tom McDonald, who has also, also had a, has a, a poor year yeah. before he got injured? 
Uh, next one on the list is, again, probably his, his season finished early because the injury was Dev Smith. So he was at 98 per game last year, down to 69 per game. But I think he was clearly playing sore across his... I think he played the first seven rounds of the season. And he um, was very good last year. Yeah. I think we shouldn't forget the how The tackle good he numbers was. were off yeah. the charts. Yeah, and so eight and a half tackles per game last year. 5.7 this year. So it's still a still great number, yeah. but it's a, it's a big drop off. It's for, like for Dusty himself. Martin when he had that ridiculous 2017 and then in 2018, I was like, ah, oh, he's not very good anymore. Yeah. It's like, um, he was still playing pretty good for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to compare to someone that's, you know, played the best season ever. Um, so Dev Smith as well, like, I think the um, his kicking also suffered because of his injury. So he was, he's never been a great kick. He was 55.5% last year, but that dropped down to 44% in the games he played this year. So mm-hmm. clearly didn't get his body right. Um, so the first name on the list that I think's had a full full season, you know, he's not out injured at the moment, is Toby McLean at the Bulldogs. So 94.6 uh, ranking points per game last year, down to 68.1 this year. Biggest change in his game is the way the Bulldog actually using him. So last year he played 64% of his game time in the midfield. This year they're playing him there 18% of the time and sort of putting him across half forward. So um, all of his numbers are down across the board. I mean, his clearances are dropped from four per game down to one. So he's just he's mm. just playing a completely different role, and I don't think they're getting the best out of Toby. Yeah, McLean see, I anymore. like him as in the midfield. I think he's mm. I think he's proven that he he's a he is a midfielder. He's a very but good what, player. What, I think there's probably like Josh Dunkley. The fact that he's rejuvenated himself as a pure midfielder. There's probably a few. In they've the dogs, got, they've got they're plenty. so good yeah. through the midfield, they probably don't need Hunter. him. I mean, yeah, yeah probably it's ba- kind of Bailey too many... Smith, one of their NAB rising stars, probably taken a bit of his spot as well. Too many names, not enough spots. Uh, fourth on the list, I kind of, again, putting my Carlton hat on, but I, I got a bit of a positive spin on this one. So, Cade Simpson, who was 105 ranking points last year, one of, if not the top ranked general defender, maybe second, he's down to 79.4, so a drop of 26 per game this year. Uh, all of his numbers are dropped away, but I feel like that. Shows Carlton's improvement. We have we relied on Cade Simpson. I shouldn't say we, but Carlton <laughs> relied on Cade Simpson. I think too much over the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, and Newman comes in as you say. I mean, you kind of look off half back. He sort of uh, picked up a bit of the slack. Correct. In and, and in recent weeks, um, Petrovsky Seaton's also been down there. That's so I think it's that. almost a positive for Carlton that Cade Simpson is being used less. And if you look at the, that, that list of biggest sliders, his seventy nine point four ranking points in twenty nineteen is still the most on that list of you know Hill, Hogan, uh, yeah. Smith, McLean. So he's, he's still contributing to the team, but yeah, like, like you said, maybe they're scaling back his commitments a bit. Yeah, I think I think last year his scores were too high in terms of where you know the, mm. the team trajectory where it should have been. And last on the list of sliders, uh, Bailey Williams, another one at the Bulldogs, who eighty one per game last year, down to fifty six per game this year. He's played nine games, um, got dropped early in the season. Again, I just I feel like they. His career trajectory was on the right way up, up until the end of two thousand and eighteen, but he's just gone backwards this year for some reason. Um, and it seems to be he's been fit all year, just hasn't been getting picks. So, um, yeah, sort of, I, I'd, I'd be, Bailey Williams would be one I'd be watching in the off-season to see if he might move clubs. Interesting. That's one to keep an eye on. I've had a gutful. We touched on it uh, off the top, Jake, about uh, one of the upcoming fixtures. It seems you've had a gutful of something to do with one of those. Yes. Well, if you're a regular reader of our Heroes and Villains column, you'll know that AFL scheduling makes an appearance probably once a month. Uh, generally gets They generally get it wrong quite a bit. And I tell you what, I was disgusted when I saw they released the t- Round 23 fixture and Brisbane and Richmond, the two most exciting teams and maybe the two best teams in the comp right now, playing on Sunday afternoon. That is a disgrace. The AFL has botched this one up. I wanted this to be a Friday night, and I can understand that they're not putting it on Friday night because there was only a five-day break for the Tigers, the teams, I think. Yeah. Um, 
But why not put this on Saturday night? Saturday night, round 23, MCG, Richmond, Brisbane. That could have been one of the games of the season. I don't know why they haven't done this. It's an absolute disgrace. And it shows that there's a lack of respect for the, for the Queensland side. Wow, that's pretty strong. I can't argue with that. I mean, I can't understand. I understand, as you said, the fact that a five-day rate is probably a bit unfair. Um, so Friday night was probably ruled out. But Saturday night makes complete sense. Saturday night's... You, How you'd great be going, would that have been? Exactly, yeah. I think... Um, the term absolute disgrace is overused in footy a lot. Oh, but come on, you say it plenty. <laughs> <laughs> I think I say it ironically sometimes. But but no, I think I think you're right. I think even in the case of a five-day break, teams do do it. Coming off Anzac Day or Queen's birthday, teams have done it before. And the next week is a bye week anyway before the finals. Well, they're, got, they're going to have two weeks off anyway, basically. And you, Christian had the stats earlier in the year that it doesn't really... It doesn't have much of an impact. If correct? any. Yeah. It, or it might go the other way. You might get up for, for having yeah. a, a less of a break. So I don't... I, the logic of, oh, yeah, you've got to give them a six or a seven-day break, it kind of falls apart when you sort of think, well, they've got two weeks to recover. The really disappointing thing is we want, we want, we want football fans in general to watch the best games and the best teams. And, the, you know, as a broadcaster, they want a good, close game that people are going to want to watch. I don't think there's many... Brisbane haven't had many free-to-air games this year. So that means a lot of people haven't watched Brisbane play a lot. Which is a shame. Which is a shame because they've been terrific to watch. Now, I've been lucky because I've watched all the Brisbane games and, I, and I, they're my favourite side to watch play. They're, they're great to watch their, their style. It's all, it's all good. It ticks a lot of boxes. So they've probably only played two, two or three games on free-to-air this year. Mm. Um, it's a real shame. And instead, the two, the two Saturday night games are Gold Coast GWS, which is going to be a shocker, wow. <laughs> and West Coast Hawthorne in Perth, which, which if that's the... The free to air game, which it probably will, because I can't see the other one being free to air, is the late start. So that would be a, a an eight ten start Eastern time. Um, I will point out though that being in that Sunday slot, it will be on free to air. It will the, be on free to air. But you're right, a prime time does, under the lights. When was the last time Brisbane played Friday night? Off the top of your head, uh, I, mean, I, I, I believe it was round nine twenty fourteen. Yeah, no, they played Thursdays. Thursday. They played Thursday, Thursday night, Easter yeah. games, but I don't yeah. think they've had a Friday night game. Twenty fourteen was the last time. Five yeah. years. I think it was round nine. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah actually, we discussed yeah. this a few weeks back. It's funny. Usually, if a team really rises and, and plays great footy, they get rewarded the next year. But this was an opportunity for the AFL to mm. reward them, having not been on a Friday night for ages, not playing free to wear that often, to reward them in a flexible fixture that they actually had, and they could have easily done it. Prediction: How many Friday night games do the Lions get next year? Four. Two at home, one away. Three. So three. <laughs> <laughs> you look at me like you can't do maths. Yeah, no. I was, I was, hey, we're journos, like mate. We don't do maths. You were about to say something else. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think three. Yeah, I think three or four is fair. If they don't have at least three, that's again, there'll be a re- round one, another round. Well, I think if there's one thing for certain, it's that uh, next season their round 22 game won't be a Sunday game. That's for sure. And the three votes goes to... Uh, Jake, actually, you're the inspiration for this three votes column. Uh, uh, column. <laughs> you know where my head's at. For this uh, three votes segment, you alerted me to a piece of commentary from the Carlton West Coast game on the weekend um, where... One of the commentators sort of mentioned the journeyman ruckman that were going head-to-head in Andrew Phillips and Tom Hickey. And it got me thinking about what are some of the best footy-isms in footy? Because we have some absolute rippers. You love a footyism, don't you? <laughs> I love a good footyism. And Neil, you've got my absolute favourite. And you might as well kick it off because it it's my favourite. Uh, well, I've got a few down here. Uh, is it steak knives that you're oh, Steak knives. So that, uh, that's, that's got to be a very much an, an Aussie rules um, only term of the fact that a player gets thrown into a trade as, as steak knives. It's so <laughs> negative, but like it's, everyone uses it. Oh, he was the steak knives in that trade. Or, you know, this pick was, it was the steak knives in the trade. You're probably the only one that could answer this question. Is that 
does that come from Tim Shaw and his Demtel ads? Like, because he was always just selling, and the knives were always extra. The night, so it is, could it, have is been. it an Australian yeah, thing? I think it might be. Oh, yeah. that's what yeah, I yeah, from, from, from the ads where they're thing. cutting yeah. through leather boots. Yeah, there was, there was always the extra. I've never made that connection. I've never made it. Never needed to cut go. through my own boot, but there you, there you go. <laughs> so Jack Crisp is a great example of he's a steak knife that's become so in the Dane, the original Dane Beam trade, and he's become a very good player. So they can turn out to be very handy. There are a few other good ones that are very, I think, AFL centric. A downhill skier. Yes, I think there's a few bombers forwards that sort of spring to mind when when I hear that. Uh, the fresh airy, when you when you just miss the ball and and completely just uh, you know chop chop at nothing. So I, I quite like that one. Uh, Joe the goose is another one that I quite enjoy. Yes, there's a few that get them out the back. <laughs> yep, they're the old hand pass out the back and and kick it from the square. Um, oh, one that's sort of grown to prominence maybe in the last ten years or so, and it's used a lot because I think it was revealed that one uh, coach in waiting tended to use it a bit, or, or it was mentioned that his presentation um, was a PowerPoint. And so now whenever whenever any clubs are talking to prospective coaches to fill a spot, it's always his PowerPoint was really impressive. Or it's, you know, it's never his presentation. Even though that software's probably outdated now. I don't think I've used PowerPoint in six years, yeah. but it's still the PowerPoint and his PowerPoint was very impressive and I quite like that one. A bit of an old school one and I don't know whether you two, especially um, Matt and Jake, even know this one, a back pocket plumber. Yeah, you mentioned this before and I thought it was, I just I thought it meant you play back pocket on the weekend, and then during the week you work as a plumber. <laughs> Wasn't that Kevin Cheedy back? <laughs> Which in may day? have been back in the day, but it's, probably it's did. A really they didn't get paid much. Did they? It's very much a workmanlike Dow defender that sits in the back pocket <laughs> all day defender. and, and doesn't word. try and create, just try and punches. I know Dow is used in yeah. a lot of sport, but Dow Dow is used in footy a lot as well. Uh, Christian, have you got any nominations for us? No, well, I've got one, but again, it's, it's probably only one person that could use this, but Centimetre Perfect, I like that one. I, I don't like it when other people, you know, I know Kometi's not around as much as he is, but it, it's good It's it's good when it's used rarely. I hate when someone sort of throws it in because they want to be like Kometi, but no, I've always liked that one. Um, he should get royalties one, every time they say it. One that, I mean, that's around that I keep hearing, Chaos Ball, so going inside 50, I which I know, that. that's yeah, I, I knew that's I'd right. get a bit of a reaction That's a Dwayne Russell favourite. Yeah. Um, are we still sticking on the positives? Because I've got a few that I don't like, but yeah, oh, let's, go go to, let's go to some negatives. Oh, we'll start with the first one. A, a, what Can anyone explain what a kick and a half is? A, a kick and a half away from goal. <laughs> two kicks and a half away from goal. It's like, it's champion like, data, we've never given a half kick. That's like <laughs> digging half a hole, isn't it? Yeah, you can't exactly. dig half a hole. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess you can't measure half a kick at yeah. champion data. That's and, good. and the other one that you always hear, lower the eyes, lower the eyes. Is, it, to, to yeah, that's look, tough to do. To not look in the distance, do you have to lower your eyes? Is it is it a physical thing you <laughs> get, have to get do? Get lower, or? yeah. Lay on the squat, ground. Squat down before you kick it. It's like uh, the golfers when they're lining up their, the uh, the last putt and they get right down to the ground. <laughs> their eyes are just about centimetres so, above the turf. So I've got one which I dislike immensely, but Matt, I think you're in the opposite school. I cannot stand the way that quarterback is starting to be used in Australian football. Yeah, I hate that the too. The Luke Hodge, oh, he's the quarterback of the Every Brisbane time, Lions. Luke No, he Hodge doesn't throw the ball. He kicks it. No, yeah. he doesn't, doesn't throw wear the a helmet, doesn't wear, doesn't wear pads. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But in terms of having the, the fielder play ahead of him and always distributing uh, cleanly to players further up the field I can see why it's used and it makes a bit of sense to me I still think the best one was what you said off the top I love journeyman I know journeyman's used not just in the AFL but it's just such a great word because if you ask 10 different people what a journeyman is you'd get kind of different responses but I think everyone would agree it's just it's never a great player it's a player that's been around a while probably been Sticks on a few it. lists been in and out of the side but serviceable. In fact, serviceable is pretty good as well. <laughs> he's been, he was serviceable. Kind of like so. a, a dour defender. It's actually a bit of a negative. <laughs> and, say he's and, a it, and it's a bit better than my, one of my other favourite footy-isms is Liss Clogger. 
Oh, so you're, you're not, you're not quite that a list clogger. <laughs> you're, you're a journeyman. List I think there's a fine so line. <laughs> Next <laughs> week on the pod, we're going to do our list clogger from every side. <laughs> a couple of other notes. Actually. <laughs> um, special mentions to Off Broadway, I think is a good one. Yeah, you love uh, Off Broadway. You do too, because you're always talking about the Lions being Off Broadway. Yeah, they are. Uh, an eight-point game? Does anyone know what that actually means? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're I not getting you eight only, points for any game. Anyway, we'll move on. We are we are here for footytips.com.au. Uh, when you're nearing the end of the year, so make sure you get all your tips in uh, on the app as well. Neil, you've come across some pretty interesting footy tips facts, uh, and one of them involves playing the percentages. Can you yeah. enlighten us a bit about what you mean by playing the percentages? Yeah, I certainly can. So um, looking looking at the, the whole database and, and what the average... Um, uh, score for each tipper is it's just on 100 it's 99.9 uh, but we thought it's just, so it's not on 100 well it's very close <laughs> to if you round it up Jake <laughs> again journos and numbers <laughs> we don't work like that um, but if you tipped just by following the, the favourites with um, betting agencies for every single game you'd be on 113 and if you tipped by just sticking with what the majority of tippers do, if in looking at the percentage of who's tipped who, if you tipped um, the favourites, you'd be on 112. So you'd either be 12 or 13 above what the average would be. So what that's saying is just don't back the outsiders. Yeah, don't back the outsiders. Look, there's, the a, there's, a reason, there's, a, there's a reason one team is a favourite in any given game because they've got, they're more likely to win it. So you should, in theory, go with the favourite. We should go with the betting favourite every single game. Yep. Um, and just a throwback um, for last week, remember discussing whether it's a good thing to change your tips at the last minute and, and whether it actually pays off. Um, uh, a fan, uh, a, good, uh, a strong listener out there called Ben got in contact with, contact with me last week talking about the fact that he he really wanted to change his tips from the Swans to the Cats. Uh, and of course, the Cats got up. And he, he let me know that if he hadn't, if he had have made that change, he would have got the perfect round, including the margin that uh, the Tigers won against Collingwood. So it can go both ways if you make that last-minute tip. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, look, as you said, um, it, it can vary week to week, uh, and that punt has just copped the unlucky end of it. So. It has. Um, anyway, speaking of uh, tipping, certainties and upsets, Neil, do you happen to have any of those for us this week? Yeah, certainly for me is West Coast against Adelaide. I know Adelaide are uh, in eighth spot. I just can't see them um, troubling West Coast. I think the Eagles are rolling, as we discussed before. I think Adelaide are too hot and cold, and their midfield is getting beaten up most weeks, so... Yeah, I like the Eagles at home. Um, and in terms of an upset, if I'm allowed to go straight into that, sure. Um, I don't mind the Hawks against the Giants. I know I previously spoke about the fact that um, the the Giants were probably my third favorite team, but the the Hawks dismantled them at the MCG early this year. Oh, I, I hear it was a Clark. It was a Clarko masterclass. masterclass, exactly. I so that's heard why much I can in do the it last again. couple of losses, though. I think he's lost to Brisbane four straight times. <laughs> I, th- I think the fact that they did it before, and I think they did it last year as well. I think that might be a, a few little. Um, I think last year marks. was the Tom Mitchell 50, 50 possession game up in up Is that where right? they played in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't bring him in, obviously. But no, I think they could do it again. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Frio as my upset over St Kilda. They're the outsiders at Marble Stadium this week. Um, look, the Saints are playing better, I think, under under Ratten. Um, but Frio's win last week over the Cats just gives me a little bit of confidence that they might be able to do something similar this week to the Saints. Uh, and my certainty is Richmond over Carlton. I think uh, the Tigers haven't left Melbourne for a few weeks. Uh, they're just rolling at the MCG. And and the Blues, while uh, have been admirable in the last few weeks, I just don't think they're going to be any match for the Tigers. Yeah, so I've, I've got the same upset as you. I've gone Frio as well. Just, um, yeah, just think they've got... Just looking at the two lists that play, I think they've just got a little bit more talent than mm-hmm. St Kilda at this stage. 
Uh, my certainty is going to be Geelong. Um, the amount of you know heat they're copying this this week, and the amount of commentary around them, they return back down to GMHBA Stadium against North Melbourne. I think they'll get the job done pretty easy. Well, I'm going to go Freo as well. Uh, sure. I think it's it's. Yeah, I'm surprised they're they're starting that far, much of an outsider. Um, as you said, don't need to say it again. But they were good against the Cats, and yeah, the Saints might be just a fraction overrated at this point. And I can't believe no one's gone Brisbane as a as a certainty. It's they're too playing, easy. They're <laughs> playing, too obvious. They're playing Gold Coast in what's a must watch Q clash, and oh, <laughs> this could get ugly, couldn't it? Three uh, votes, Lockie Neal. Well, Dane Zorko probably not playing. Yeah. It's a fair chance. Hey, it's time to go, uh, but before we do, make sure you do rate five stars and subscribe wherever you do get your podcasts. But in the meantime, we'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.